Hey everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. What a morning around here. You know, I got, I got the word uh, early that we were, our power was out, and we didn't know if it was going to be back on at all today. And uh, so when I get to campus, all of our lights are out except for the security lights. And so around 8.40, 8.45, I said, okay, we're going to cancel 9.30. And a lot of you got the text and all of that. We were actually stopping people as they were coming in from the street uh, because we just didn't think the lights were going to be back on by the 930. And then on top of that, when electricity comes back up, it's not like your house where everything comes back up. For us, we have a lot of systems that have to be started back, and it can take a half hour, an hour to get them back up. So, But the lights came back on about 9.05, and like Dan said, I, I said, well, you know, we were still turning people away, and I thought a lot of people drive a long way, so I said, we're, we're just going to try to have a service. So in the last minute, we did have it, and we had to start, like, like Dan said, about 9.37, because we were still powering up some of our systems. But it's just been a strange morning. And then I started thinking about this. You know, I've, I've shared with you in this series, uh, every time we do a Going Pro series, I wear NFL jerseys and a little upset with the NFL, some of the stuff they're doing these days. And so I thought, well, I'm going to go back in time and find high character NFL players. And, you know, so we, we had Walter Payton and uh, Reggie White and, and you know, it's, you know, that's that's what I want to do. But I got to thinking about today's jersey, and I thought, if I, with all the audibles that I had to call today, this is the right jersey, because I keep finding myself wanting to say Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. So, if you don't know who Peyton Manning is, that won't make any sense. But I'm just so thankful that you're here today, and I really believe that God has a purpose, a special purpose in our being here, because today I'm going to be talking about a topic that I've thought about for years, but I've never spoken on. To be honest with you, the reason why I've never spoken on this topic is that it's fraught with complications. And even now, I've got butterflies in my stomach because it's really important that you hear this through the lens of what I'm about to say in the next few moments. Because for those of us who come to church looking for a clear-cut walkout and here's what you should do or shouldn't do, I'm not sure that today's talk is going to provide you with that. And I'll explain what I mean by that. We're going to be dealing with when is it safe to restore somebody in your life who's been toxic? How do you know when it's safe to let somebody back in? How do you know if the person is truly changed? So before I get started with this talk, it's really important that I slow down and that we dial some things in that will help us understand this talk. This is one of the biggest and important concepts that I can ever share with a Christian audience. Let's just go, let's put it this way. There's a difference between forgiving someone and restoring someone. Let me, let me say this before I even explain what I mean by that. So many times I've talked to Christians and I've said to them, the word of God tells us that we should always forgive. And I've had people speak back to me and say something like this, I can't forgive. Then when they begin to unpack what they mean by that, they'll talk about this person has done so much damage in my life and I'm afraid to let him back into my life. And when they say that, I understand that they're confused on the distinction between forgiveness and restoration. They believe that when we say the word of God says you always have to forgive, they're hearing that as if the word of God says you always have to restore someone back. 
and confusion is the result. So, so that we won't have that problem, let's take a few moments and talk about the difference between what it means biblically to forgive someone and what it means to restore. Forgiveness means we tear up the invoice. When someone harms you, that person owes you a debt for what he or she did in your life. And so consequently, there's an invoice. You took something away from me. You harmed me. You did damage to me. And you know, hey, in our world today, if, if someone steals your car, then they owe you a debt. Or if someone damages your car, they owe you a debt. Well, of course, we're talking about your life. So forgiveness means this. You take the invoice that someone owes you and you tear it up and you say, you don't owe me anymore. Now, what we must understand is we're not saying you're getting off scot-free because what we're saying at that point is you're dealing with God now. And, and so consequently, you're going to have to face God for what, for what you've done. But as far as I'm concerned, there's no invoice. But restoration means reinstatement, letting someone again have access to our lives. And here's the deal. Whenever you let someone have access to your life, you cannot do that without being vulnerable. And quite honestly, there are some people that we should not expose our vulnerability to. So is, that, is it beginning to be clear a little bit? Forgiveness means we tear up the invoice. Restoration means it's safe now to let this person back into my life to the extent that there will be vulnerability. Now, here's, here's where it really gets clear. Jesus taught us that we should always forgive. In the Sermon on the Mount, embedded in the greatest sermon ever preached, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer. It's the wrong term because it's not what Jesus prayed. It's what we should pray. Perhaps a better term would be the disciples' prayer. But in this prayer, Jesus taught us that we should always forgive. In fact, daily we are to pray for God to forgive us as we have already forgiven those who sin against us. But did you know that in the same sermon, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus taught us that it's not always safe to reinstate someone into our lives so that we become vulnerable, vulnerable again. And he did it very graphically. Matthew 7 verse 6, Jesus said, do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What a graphic statement. You know, it, you know pearls are very valuable. And as a, as a cognizant, wise person, you understand that pearls are extremely valuable. A pig doesn't know a pearl from a pebble and consequently does not treat as valuable something that you know is valuable. Now, you understand Jesus isn't talking about literal pearls and literal pigs. What he's saying is you have things in your life that are extremely valuable to you. I mean, your character, your virtue, your peace of mind, your kindness, your grace, all the things that are in your life that are extremely valuable. And, and one more thing before I go any further. Don't you find it interesting that a pearl is different from every other gem because a pearl is acquired through difficulty and suffering? So in other words, there are things in your life that you had to stretch for and you had to suffer for, and they're very valuable. Well, of course, a pig there... Honestly, Jesus is talking about people. He's saying there are certain people that don't value what you value. There are things that you suffered for, your education, your life, your character, your dreams. You suffered to make those things a reality. But here comes somebody in your life that doesn't value those things. And Jesus is saying, I want you to forgive everybody, but don't throw your pearls to pigs. And New Springers, and for all of you watching and listening online, you got pearls and you got pigs. And Jesus said, keep them apart. Could I say that one more time? You got pearls and you got pigs. Don't let them get together. 
Well, one more thing while we're just kind of like filing a flight plan for this message. This message is not about two kinds of abusers. Um, I'm not talking today about sexual abuse. I'm not talking about domestic violence. Both of those situations are more complicated. And so consequently, one sermon is not going to speak to that. And so if you're a victim of sexual abuse, if you're a victim of domestic violence, that's a way heavier, those are way heavier topics, and I would encourage you to work with mental health professionals, and especially if you can, a Christian mental health professional. As you can already guess, there are a lot of reasons why pastors stay away from this topic. And one more time, I have butterflies in my stomach, even though this is the third time that I've delivered this talk. Because when we talk about toxic people, these situations are so complex and so diverse there's a spectrum. All of us know what it's like to just have somebody who's annoying and you don't like to be around them, but they're toxic, but they're kind of on the easy end of the spectrum. And some of you have had your lives almost destroyed by a toxic person. So I understand before I go into this, this is not a one size fits all in the explanation of toxic people, nor is it a one size fits all when it comes to the solution. Okay. We're still just unpacking the beginning of this talk. Let's, let's look at one more thing. As I've shared with you in this series about Joseph, I really do believe every time the Bible gives us a lot of ink about a character, it is God's way of saying there are a lot of lessons here. There's a whole book devoted to Esther. So whenever you read the book of Esther, you need to slow down. There are a lot of life lessons in this. There's a whole book devoted to Ruth. A lot of life lessons there. Same with Moses, same with David, you know, Daniel. Every time there's a lot of ink devoted to a character, we, we can learn a lot of lessons. I know that because there are two verses in the New Testament that tells us that those stories in the Old Testament were written there for our education. So when you look at the life of Joseph that we're in right now, a whole lot of ink is devoted to him. 13 chapters of the book that covers the most chronological history, the book of Genesis, 13 chapters are devoted to Joseph. But now here's why I'm finally gonna cross the line and do a talk on this topic. You know, I've done, this is the third series I've done on Joseph. I did one in 1997, one in 2009. Every time I did the series on Joseph, I saw this topic, but I didn't cross the line and do a talk on this. Here's why I'm doing this today. Out of the 13 chapters on the life of Joseph, four, maybe five, are devoted to this topic. How do you know when it's safe to let someone who has been toxic back into your life? Now, here's something interesting, and I, I, you guys know, I love the Bible, love the, I, I, to, I know it's the word of God, but there are times in the Bible where we get a clear command. This is what you must do, this is what you must not do. There are times, though, when the Bible tells a story and it doesn't comment on it. It just lets the story lie out there for us to read. I am convinced that when we see that, it is God's way of saying what you're seeing here, not necessarily commands, but general principles. A principle, that's just how God's universe works. General, that means ordinarily, this works. So today, what I'm going to share with you in this talk, as we're about to get started with it, I'm going to give you three scenes from the life of Joseph and then eight general principles. So for any of us, and I'm guessing probably this will touch us all at some point, for, for us today, how can we know when it's safe to let somebody back into our life. You ready? Scene one. We're going to go back to the beginning of Joseph's experience that we read about in the Bible, and we're going to call this scene Toxic People. 
Little backstory. Joseph is a kid. He is the 11th of 12 brothers. And he and his younger brother are full brothers. Jacob, his dad, has four wives or four women in his life, which is never God's plan. And every time we see it in the Bible, it always leads to dysfunction. What really makes it complicated is Joseph, uh, Jacob married two sisters. One he wanted to marry because he was in love with her, and one he didn't want to marry that his father-in-law pulled a trick on him. So consequently, Jacob is bitter about that. He's married to a woman named Leah that he doesn't love, and he's in love with his wife, Rachel. What further complicates the picture is Leah is able to have kids, doesn't love her, but she's able to have a lot of kids, and for a long time, Rachel can't have any kids. Now, after many years, Rachel is able to get pregnant. The baby she has is Joseph. A little while later, she gets pregnant again, and she has Joseph's younger full brother. This will matter to us in a little bit. His name is Benjamin, but Rachel dies in childbirth. So from that point on, Jacob's whole life is wrapped up, especially in Joseph and Benjamin. And he doesn't care about the other wives in his life, and the other sons understand that to their dad, they are more servants than sons, which causes them to really resent Joseph. That'll matter. By the way, let me just stop for a moment and say to all parents, it is cosmically, it is cosmically toxic to favor one child or children over another child or other children. So what makes, well, let's just make it even further complicated. Jacob has decided that Joseph should be in charge of his brothers and he's one of the youngest. So he's basically said, look to the other sons, you guys work for Joseph. That means they hated him. So we pick up the story. This is where the story of Genesis, uh, Joseph begins in the book of Genesis. We pick up the story in Genesis 37. By the way, did I tell you, we're going to read a lot of scripture today. And the reason for that is I want you to see where these general principles I'm going to show you. I want you to see personally where these come from. Genesis 37, verse 18. They... The 10 brothers spotted him in the distance. By the time he got to them, they had cooked up a plot to kill him. He's their brother. The brothers were saying, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him and throw him into one of these old cisterns. We can say that a vicious animal ate him up. We'll see what his dreams amount to. Now, Reuben, he's the oldest. He's kind of wishy-washy. He also knows he's responsible to his dad for Joseph's well-being. Reuben heard the brothers talking and intervened to save him. We're not going to kill him. No murder. Go ahead and throw him in this cistern. Reuben planned to go back later and get him out. Now watch this. They ripped off the fancy coat he was wearing, grabbed him, and threw him into a cistern. Then they sat down to eat their supper. How cold is that? Looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites on their way from Gilead, their camels loaded with spices, ointments, and perfumes to sell in Egypt. Heads up, New Spring. Judah. Oh, remember this, please. Very important. Judah. He would be the leader if Reuben was gone. Judah said, brothers, what are we going to get out of killing our brother and concealing the evidence? Let's sell him. Let's sell him. We learn something later. When the brothers are talking years later, they, they say something that we don't see in Genesis 37. The brothers say, we saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life and we wouldn't listen. I mean, essentially what they said is, let's sell him and they'll kill him. And so when they were pulling him out of the pit, Joseph was pleading with them to spare his life, and they wouldn't listen. 
And they took his coat that made them so jealous, the coat, and they dipped it in goat's blood and sent it back to their dad. And they asked him a very cold-hearted question. They said, see if this is your son's coat. They didn't say, see if it's our brother's coat. They said, see if this is your son's coat. And Jacob said to himself, yeah, it is. And surely a wild animal has killed him. And he grieved for years over the loss of Joseph. Now, if you've been with us the last few weeks or if you've read the story, you know what happened for the next 13 years. From Joseph's 17th birthday when he was sold as a slave to his 30th birthday, he has a series of unfortunate events. Mostly, he went to prison for 10 years because a woman claimed that he tried to rape her and he didn't. She had tried to seduce him, and when he wouldn't give in to her advances, then she claimed that he tried to sexually assault her, and Joseph goes to prison for 10 years. That's a, that's a rough experience to have from your 17th birthday until your 30th, but you know the story of Joseph, and you know what happened to him, how that Pharaoh had a couple of dreams, and Joseph was able to interpret the dreams, and so he goes from being in the prison to being the most powerful man in the world in one morning. He takes off his orange jumpsuit and puts on an Armani suit. And now he can have anything he wants. He's got a condo with pools. He's got Ferraris and Bentleys. And he's wearing the bling of Egypt. He can have anything he wants. And here's one thing that we must understand. He forgave his brothers years ago. We know that means tearing up the invoice. And he loves them. And now Joseph is setting on enough money to bankroll all of their lives. And one more time, he loves them and he wants to do it for them. There's just one important question. Have they changed? Or are they the same toxic people that they were? I mean, Joseph had to know. If they could freak out over a coat of many colors, how, how would they act if their brother is running the world? If they get to Egypt and see how big he is now. One of the lessons I've learned a long time ago is that if God moves you to a new place, you can't take someone with a toxic attitude. You can't take their old attitude to your new place. Well, that takes us to general principle number one, because we, we've already seen in this scene in Joseph's early life that he's been harmed, but we know now that he wants to restore his brothers. And that, that does teach us the first lesson for all of us who have been hurt. Revenge can never be part of the equation. Something goes really wrong in our lives, no matter if we're completely the victim, something goes really wrong in our lives if we can begin to want to see the people who have hurt us suffer. We live... You and I live in a generation that says we don't judge, but it's the most judgmental generation in the history of the world. And I hear things today, and when I hear them, I sort of understand emotionally why they're being said, but they're so wrong. I hear people say, if I don't see the person who hurt me suffer, I can't move on. Or I hear people say, if I don't hear them apologize and see them change, I can't move on. You realize what we're saying? Isn't that way too much power to give a toxic person in your life? I mean, God help us to say, I would love to see that person, I would love to see that person repent and turn around. And as far as them dealing with whatever suffering they need to do for hurting me, God will take care of that. But I'm not going to give that person that much power in my life if they never change, if, they ne if I never see them suffer for what that person did to me, I can still move on because I belong to God and God's going to take care of me. And I want to say this, and I understand what it's like to be hurt, and some of you have been hurt way more than I have. 
but something goes toxically wrong in our spirits when we begin to focus on seeing the person who hurt us suffer. The Bible says vengeance belongs to God. And you know, it should never belong to us because we would either not get enough vengeance or we get too much vengeance. God will know exactly what to do in that person's life. So just so that we can understand, when we get into this stuff where Joseph's doing this and that for these four chapters, it's really critical that we know that he's not trying to make his brothers suffer. He's going to let distancing God take care of that. Okay, we're about to move in the second scene, and we need to slow down because out of the eight lessons we're going to extract from these scenes, six are in this second scene. Most of our principles are here. One more time, Joseph desperately wants to restore his brothers. He loves them, but he has to know if it's safe. So in these four chapters, and by the way, you may have read this, and some of you may have scratched your head trying to figure out what is Joseph up to. He's very smart, and he's going to do some strange gymnastics that we're going to mine some lessons from. So here we go. Scene two, we'll just call that years pass. 20 to be exact. I mean, the 13 years where he's going through all those difficult things. And remember from, I think, week three of our series, we talked about Pharaoh's dreams where Joseph said to him, the meaning of your dreams is that there are going to be seven highly productive years followed by seven years of famine. And he said, we've got to manage those first seven years so that there'll be food to keep people from starving to death in the second seven years. Well, by the time we get into scene two, we're in those lean years. Now, Jacob and his sons live in Canaan, and the famine is in Canaan as well. So they don't have food. They're starving to death, and they hear that Egypt has food. They don't have any idea what's happened to Joseph. Jacob believes that a wild animal killed him. The brothers said, we won't kill him. The slave traders will kill him. So they think he's dead too. So now, starving to death, 20 years later, Jacob says to his 10 sons, the same ones who sold Joseph, you guys go to Egypt and buy food, but the thing is, you can't take Benjamin because Benjamin is too special to me. Remember, he's the youngest. He's the baby of the family. He's Joseph's full brother. So go get food, but you can't take Benjamin. Now, we'll start this scene rolling in just a moment, but before we do, we've already picked up the second general principle of knowing when to let a toxic person or a person who has been toxic back into our life. And we picked it up with just the words, years pass. General principle number two, when you're trying to determine whether or not to let someone back into your life who's been toxic, don't get in a hurry. You know, Joseph is a big-hearted guy, and his emotions want to desperately bring his brothers back. But, you know, one of the mistakes that I've watched people make in all the years I've been pastoring is sometimes a big-hearted person will, will want somebody restored that they'll get in a big hurry, and they won't watch telltale signs. And Joseph, as much as he wants to restore them, he lets time pass. A couple of big reasons for that. Number one... Joseph needs to go through a time of healing himself. Hey, when we're looking at the story, we look at those 13 years where he suffers, boom, he gets this job where he's the biggest man in the world. But you know, even though he's going through a good season, the pain and the hurt of those 13 years are still with him. So New Spring, he needs to let some time pass so that he can gain his own spiritual and emotional equilibrium. Secondly, the big one, he knows he can't change his brother's. Only God can change them if they'll let him. 
And I'm talking to somebody here today and you've been in a relationship with someone and you so want to believe that person has changed and you think, well, if I try this, maybe he'll change. If I try this, maybe she'll change. Maybe it's a kid in your life and it's like, well, maybe I'll try this. We need to understand we cannot change people's hearts. Only God can change their hearts if they'll let him. So Joseph understands, I'm going to need to let some time pass. So here we go. Here's scene two. Here's the big scene. We're going to pull six lessons out of here. Well, we've already pulled one, five more, I guess. Joseph was governor of all Egypt and in charge. It was to him that his brothers came. When they arrived, they bowed before him with their faces to the ground. Joseph recognized his brothers instantly, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Now you could hear that and you're like, okay, if Joseph can recognize them, why couldn't they recognize Joseph? Well, Egyptians look very different. I've told you, you know, he's had his head shaved. He looks like an Egyptian, talks like an Egyptian, walks like an Egyptian, <laughs> got the bling on. So consequently, and then he's got his Egypt tan going. And so they, they look at him and it's like, they have no idea this is Joseph. So uh, he asks them, where are you from? From the land of Canaan, they replied. We've come to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they didn't recognize him. He said to them, you're spies. What's going on here? Why didn't Joseph say, hey, guys, it's me? This is really big. New Spring, please listen. For all of you big-hearted Christ followers, please hear this. Joseph wants to hear them tell their story. It's really important that he doesn't do it for them. General principle number three, big-hearted people can want restoration so much that we create the repentance story for them. Oh, you feel bad about what you did. Obviously, you, you want to do better, don't you? I mean, if we're not careful, we can want repentance so much that we'll tell the story for them, and they'll let us do it. Now, let me show you instantly why that's critical. Watch how they spin the story. Let's read. We're all brothers, members of the same family. We are honest men. Really? No, they're a bunch of toxic people. But they tell John, Joseph, we're honest men. Oh, we see this in 21st century America, don't we? We see this with celebrities. They say something and do something, and then when, the, you know, when they're confronted with it, well, that's not really me. That's not who I am. Well, they did it. They said it. And that's what they said. You know, we're honest men. We're not spies. Sir, they said, there are actually 12 of us. We, your servants, are all brothers, son of a man living in Canaan. Our youngest brother is back there with our father right now. And one of our brothers is no longer with us. That can mean anything. Did he join the navies in San Diego? I mean, it's like, <laughs> one of our brothers uh, can't be here today. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Have they really changed? They just want to buy food. Well, Joseph is very, very smart. Joseph's response, Genesis 42, verse 14. Joseph insisted, you're spies, and this is how I'll test your story. I swear by the life of Pharaoh that you'll never leave Egypt unless your youngest brother comes here. One of you must go and get your brother. I'll keep the rest of you here in prison. Then we'll find out whether or not your story is true. By the life of Pharaoh, if it turns out that you don't have a younger brother, then I'll know you are spies. 
Well, what's Joseph up here, up to here? It's real easy. He wants to know if they've harmed Benjamin. I mean, they hated him. Maybe they hated Benjamin too. They wanted to kill him. I mean, after all, Benjamin's not there. And they've already told kind of a lie about Joseph. So Joseph has to know, have you hurt Benjamin? I want to talk to especially you in relationships who've been in a relationship with a toxic person. Or maybe you're even dating someone. And here's the thing. He treats you really, really nicely right now. But you notice that he treats other people badly. That's just you in a matter of time. I mean, if someone else will mistreat others, that, they will mistreat you. And so Joseph wants to know, have you harmed Benjamin? So he says, you know what? I'm just going to keep you all here. One of you can go back. And if you have a younger brother, then, then we'll, we'll, we'll see how things go from there. Here's general principle number four. Toxic people are truth challenged. And half the truth means there's no real heart change. But something is happening with the brothers. The pressure that they're under helps them to start connecting some very old dots. And I want you to watch this. So now the brothers have heard what Joseph has had to say. They don't know it's Joseph, of course. Joseph put them all in prison for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, I'm a God-fearing man. If you do as I say, you will live. Watch this. If you are really honest men, Joseph caught that like you did. If you're really honest men, He said, choose one of your brothers to remain in prison. The rest of you may go with the grain for your starving families, but you must bring back your youngest brother to me. Speaking among themselves, watch the connection of the dots here. Clearly, we are being punished because of what we did. Okay, that's sounding better. What we did to Joseph long ago, and here's the verse I gave you earlier. We saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why we're in this trouble. Of course, they didn't know, verse 23, that Joseph understood them because he'd been speaking to them through an interpreter. As we'll see very clearly in in a minute, everything in Joseph wants right then to reach out to them. And if he'd been like many of us, He'd have said something like, okay, that's all I was waiting for. I'm Joseph. We're all good here. But he didn't. We've actually got a long way to go before we get to that moment because Joseph understood general principle number five, which is this. An expression of guilt doesn't mean real change. One more time. An expression of guilt doesn't mean real change. Through the years, I've counseled thousands of people. I haven't for a lot of time, a long time. But I remember back in the days when I used to counsel, especially there could be a guy who caused all kinds of problems in his relationship. And I mean, sitting in my office, you know, just to get his wife to let him back into her life, he is confessing to everything up to the Kennedy assassination. It's like, I know I'm a bad guy and I'm married to the most wonderful woman in the world. And if she'll just let me back and let me have another chance and I'll do this, this, and this. And then she opens the door and lets him back and he goes right back to being the toxic person he was. Why? Because an expression of guilt doesn't mean change. It's important. It can be a launching pad. It can be a starting point. But an expression of guilt doesn't mean real change. Lots of toxic people, lots of abusers will admit guilt in order to be given access to your life. But guilt is not enough. And Joseph knows that. Now, it's a challenge for him because, as I said a moment ago, and I'm going to show you right now what I said I'd show you, 
Joseph's heart is to reach out and pull them in right now, but he knows he's not safe. Watch this. He turned away from them and began to weep. That's his heart. Here's his brain. When he regained his composure, he spoke to them again. (laughs) Then he chose Simeon from among them and had him tied up right before their eyes. You see his heart and his brain working? General principle number six. Sometimes we have to protect ourselves from our own emotions. I think this is especially true if you have a kid that becomes a toxic person and you so desperately want for her, you want for him to be back into your life. I, I think, I think it's, that's the most tender place. And so often our heart wants to let that kid back into our life when there's still not change. Sometimes we have to protect ourselves from our own emotions. Well, we need to speed this story up because we only have a few minutes left and we have two principles yet to see. So let me just kind of tell you what happens next. This is the, the brothers there. They're there to get food, and they've gone through all this stuff. And, and Joseph says to them, okay, Simeon stays here with me till you go back home and get your younger brother. They have grain now in their sacks where they can go back and keep from starving to death. And then Joseph does something. He says to his assistants, hey, the money that they paid us, put it back in their sacks. Well, they get down the road a little bit. They open their sacks and see that not only there's the grain, there's their money. And like, oh, no, we're in, really in trouble now because they're going to think we tried to steal the money. And they said, what, what has God done to us? So finally they get back home and they tell their dad, you know, man, down there in that Egypt, that man is mean. And Simeon, he's held hostage. No way he's going to let us come back unless we take Benjamin. So they they figure they're never going to go back. Simeon is just gone. Let me find out where all of my baby boomers are. He's like Chuck on Happy Days. (laughs) And for all the rest of you, there were three kids on Happy Days. The oldest kid was only there for one season. Then he never was heard from again. And so that's kind of like the new normal. The new normal is we're going to keep from starving to death. We're going to stay here. We're never going back. Simeon is dead. He's gone. He's dead to us. Scene three, final test. They run out of food again in time. And Jacob says to his sons, you guys have to go back to Egypt and buy food. And the brothers say, dad, you know what that means? We can't go back there unless we take Benjamin. And and Jacob is like, you cannot take Benjamin. It'll kill me if you take Benjamin. And they say, well, we're going to starve to death here. So finally, well, let's watch something. You remember Judah? Remember, I told you to focus on him because he was the one who started this whole thing. So Judah says to his dad, send the boy with me. We'll be on our way. Otherwise, we'll all die of starvation. I personally guarantee his safety. You may hold me responsible. If I don't bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame forever. And finally, Jacob said, all right, you can take Benjamin. Man, I hope God kept all this stuff on videotape. I just want to see this when I get to heaven because what a scene. Here are the brothers. They're in front of Joseph. They have no idea who Joseph is. Joseph knows exactly who they are. And Joseph looks down from his throne and he sees his baby brother, Benjamin. Then Joseph looked at his brother, Benjamin, the son of his own mother. Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about, Joseph asked? May God be gracious to you, my son. Then Joseph hurried from the room because he was overcome with emotion for his brother. He went into his private room where he broke down and wept. After washing his face, he came back, keeping himself under control. You're watching a theme here? 
a trend. He ought to bring out the food. And then he does something cool. Like I said, I hope God kept this on video. He seats the brothers according to their birth order. <laughs> well, they buy the food. Looks like they're all going to be able to go home now. Simeon is now released. He's no longer hostage. Benjamin, whew, Benjamin's going to be able to go home. But Joseph's not finished. He has their money put back in their sacks, but he has something else put in a sack. FYI. The Egyptians believed it was part of their culture that the Pharaoh, and of course Joseph by extension, could tell the future with a silver chalice, a silver wine cup. And whenever the potentate looked into the wine, the swirls of the wine in his cup, he could use that to predict the future. Everybody in Egypt knew that's what this cup is for. Well, Joseph doesn't believe that. He's trusting God. It's just his wine cup. But he says to his assistants, put the wine cup in Benjamin's sack. So the brothers take off. They don't know that that wine cup is in the sack. And then Joseph sends his military attache down. He, he sends them, said, chase after them. And he kind of tells them what's going on. So they chase the brothers down. The brothers feeling good. Wow, that worked out. We're all good. And all of a sudden, the Egyptians, you know, it's like the red lights coming on behind you on the highway. And they pull them over to the side of the road. And they say, one of you guys stole, after he was so good to you, one of you guys stole the, man, the, the potentate's cup, silver cup. And they said, oh, sir, we would never do that in a million years. And if you find the cup in one of our, one of our sacks, then that guy's toast. You can, you can have him can imagine how they felt when they opened all the sacks and they got down to Benjamin and there was Joseph's cup in Benjamin's sack. And so now they're all being arrested and taken back to Joseph. <laughs> Let's pick it up there. Verse 14, chapter 44. Joseph was still in his palace when Judah and his brothers arrived and they fell to the ground before him. What have you done? Joseph demanded. Don't you know a man like me can predict the future? Judah answered, oh, my Lord, what can we say? How can we explain this? How can we prove our innocence? God is punishing us for our sins. My Lord, we've all returned to be your slaves. All of us, not just our brother who had your cup in his sack. No, Joseph said, I would never do such a thing. Only the man who stole the cup will be my slave. The rest of you can go in peace. What's Joseph doing here? Ooh, we're getting to a really, really important place in this message for some of you. Is he just trying to make their life miserable? Is he just trying to jerk them around? No, no, no. We know already he desperately wants to restore his brothers. But watch this. If they haven't really changed, he's worked out a way to keep Benjamin with him. General principle number seven. As much as we desire reconciliation, we need a plan to go forward with our lives if toxic people don't change. But locked in those things that Judah said, there was a nugget that looks like real change. You caught it, didn't you? Verse 16, God is punishing us for our sins. And now Judah goes on. He stepped forward and said, please, my Lord, let your servant say just one word to you. Please do not be angry with me. My Lord, you previously asked your servants, do you have a father or brother? And we responded, yes, my Lord, we have a father who's an old man and his youngest son is a child of his old age. His full brother's dead. They finally tell the truth about that now, at least the truth that they think. And he alone is left of his mother's children and our father loves him very much. 
And you said to us, bring him here so I can see him with my own eyes. But we said to you, my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father for his father would die. Later, when he said, go again and buy us more food, we replied, we can't go unless our youngest brother goes with us. And now, my Lord, I cannot go back to my father without the boy. Our father's life is bound up in this boy's life. If he sees that the boy is not with us, our father will die. And we, your servants, will indeed be responsible for sending that grieving white-haired man to his grave. My Lord, I guarantee to my father I would take care of the boy. So please, my Lord, let me stay here as a slave instead of the boy. And let the boy return to his father with his brothers. For how can I return to my father if the boy is not with me? I couldn't bear to see the anguish that this would cause my father. Judah's not the same person anymore, is he? Now that gives me the opportunity to give you general principle number eight. Real repentance involves total honesty, total responsibility, and a willingness to agree to a plan of validation going forward. Those three things. And now we get one of the most beautiful scenes in the Bible. Genesis 45, verse 1. Joseph could stand it no longer. He broke down and wept. I'm Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. Now hurry back to my dad and tell him this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me master over the entire land of Egypt. So come down here to me immediately. You can live where you can be near me and I will take care of you there. Well, as I said to you at the beginning of this talk, probably no sermon I've ever delivered in, well, the 37 years I've been here at New Spring nearly, no sermon has given me butterflies like this one. Because as I said, our situations are complex, but I really do believe these are eight principles that will help you know whether it's safe to let a toxic person back into your life. Even though I've never taught on this subject as a leader, I've thought about these principles a lot. And my prayer is that you'll use these eight principles with your own prayer and your own seeking of God's wisdom in your life to know when it's safe to let someone back in. But for any of us today who says, well, I just don't think people ever change, so I'm just not, never going to let people who've hurt me back into my life, you might want to think about the fact that when it's all said and done, I'm guessing to some degree we're all toxic people. Most of us here have caused trouble for someone else. If nothing else, just remember, unless you're there right now and you won't have to remember, but just remember when you were a teenager and your parents. Yeah, I'm guessing we've all caused some pain, but here's the thing. If you've never caused anyone any pain in your life, you have to realize that we've all sinned against God. In fact, the scriptures tell us that we're all sinners, we're all toxic people in the sight of God. And God worked out a plan to not only forgive us, but to restore us into his family. And that plan cost God an awful lot. 
The Bible says God loved the world so much he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And God offers us an opportunity to take all of our toxicity and take it by faith to a cross and stand there by faith under the cross and remember that our sins have been paid for. If we'll, you know, that's the thing. See, like Joseph understood, it takes God to change a person, but only if that person will let them, let God change them. And the Bible tells us that we're all sinners and yet God made a way for all of us to be forgiven. Would you bow your head with me, please, for just a moment? As I close out this service, if you're here today and you say, Mark, I want to know for sure that I'm forgiven. I want to know that I'm God's child. Then you can have that instantly if you will invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior. I'm going to pray a prayer, line by line, slowly. And if you want to join me in this prayer, you can pray and God will hear your prayer. Dear God, I am a sinner, but I believe you love me very much. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he arose from the grave. And since Jesus is alive, I want him to be my savior and my king. Thank you for hearing my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. If you just pray with me, I have a gift I want to give you. It's a box that has a, a New Spring Bible in it, a little book I wrote that will answer a lot of questions, a journal, some other cool things. You can go to any info center and they'll have this box for you. If you want them to be ready for you, take your phone out and text PRAYED, P-R-A-Y-E-D to 97,000. They'll be ready for you when you get back there. If you don't have your phone with you, just say, I prayed with Mark. They'll give this to you. You can take it home with you today. God bless. Thank you. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.